Well, my prayer this morning is that it will only be Kim Kim that will fall asleep during my sermon. (laughs) Laupi was telling me that uh, apparently she, uh, if she wakes up and if they play her a song, then she'll, um, uh, she'll go straight back down to sleep. Is that still the case? Yeah, so if she wakes up, Laupi, just start singing, and I'll be quiet, okay, for a little bit. It's wonderful to see you guys. So great, so great. Well, this morning, we are finishing up uh, our short series in July that has seriously challenged our ability to keep a stiff upper lip, as the Brits would say. For the last few weeks, our emotions have been stirred. We have experienced little flutterings in our hearts. And it's not Arlene's snacks. We have laughed and cried and other things very un-Canadian. In church as well. Sacre bleu! Has the world gone mad? Probably having seen what went on in Britain this week. Don't get me started on that. (laughs) All right, then I won't. Why? 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 Oh, boy. Oh, don't. I'm tired. It's It's going to take a while to get through this. Why all this emotion? Well, because in the month of July, we've been looking at songs, songs for the summer. Songs play a huge part in our lives. Songs are all around us. And here's the thing about songs. They stir our emotion. We listen uh, uh, to a song and something happens to us. Uh, Last week at camp, the kids, the parents told me at, at the family night, the kids would go home singing the songs. They would hear a song and get really excited. And you saw them when a song came on here, their little eyes would light up and they would start smiling and they would dance around and and it did something to them. In fact, one of the mums said to me, normally in the morning when I, uh, I listen upstairs to what's going on, I hear screaming and shouting between the siblings. Last week, she said, all I heard was them singing to each other. And she said, I don't know what you do, but can you do it all year? And I said, no. (laughs) But songs, songs do something to us. And it's the same with us, isn't it? When we hear a particular song, Sometimes it makes us all gooey and romantic and or happy and really dancey. Or in the case of Pink Floyd, it can leave you reaching for the Tylenol. Songs stir something inside of us. That's why songs are important. And so for the month of July, we've been looking at songs that stir our emotions, songs for the summer. But these songs won't be found in the gospel according to St. Mark 
Knopfler. These songs are actually found in here in the Bible, written many, many centuries ago, the book of Psalms. It contains 150 songs, songs that stir the same emotions that we feel today when we hear modern day songs. Because they deal with the same issues that we face today. They deal with things like love and joy and pain and disappointment and rejection and guilt and fear and shame. All those things that we deal with today. And so the book of Psalms um, actually are as relevant today as they've ever been. And so far in in the book we've looked at a, a love song. A love song telling us about the intimacy that God craves to have with us. We've looked at a sad song, showing us that actually it's okay sometimes to be disappointed with life, to be frustrated with life. Then last week we looked at a happy song, a happy song showing us that it's okay as followers of Jesus to dance and be joyful, even in church, because we know that God is our rock. And that was the big theme of our camp last week. Reminding the kids that if they build their lives on Jesus, they will know that he's never changing. He's always there for them. That he's never ceasing to love them and be there for them. Never moving. And so for our final week, what are we going to look at this week? Well, we're going to look at an epic song. One of those songs that deal with a huge melodramatic and emotional story. I asked our resident rock song guru, Tanya, uh, what she thinks makes a song an epic song. And she's not here to tell me because I've forgotten what she said. (laughs) But maybe she would have said... The songs that like tell an epic story, one of those, uh, so I found a list yesterday of a hundred, top hundred epic rock songs, and they included these, Bohemian Rhapsody, that is an epic rock song, it tells a story, doesn't it? Uh, Hotel California is another one that is that epic story. song that tells a a story. Uh, Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven uh, is another one. Uh, American Pie, again a great story told in this song and it's become an epic song. Uh, Bonnie Tyler, look at that. Did people really look like that? Back in the late 70s, 80s, total eclipse of the heart. So an epic song, it's a stirring song. It has lots of emotion and it tells a story. Uh, They did actually offer a suggestion for the most epic rock album of all time, which apparently was this one. So I didn't read anymore. But anyway, all of these songs are epic because they tell a big emotional story and deal with the raw and honest consequences that come from that story. 
But there is a song in the book of Psalms that is just as epic. It tells of the intense and raw and honest emotions that the writer feels as he reflects on a series of incidents that change his life and the lives of many others around him. Circumstances that quickly got out of control, that led to adultery, lying, jealousy, and murder. Mama, I just killed a man, put a gun against his head, pulled the trigger, now he's dead. Similar, isn't it? But listen to this song. It's in uh, Psalm 51. So if you've got your Bibles, you can follow along with me. I'm just going to read the first 12 verses. We'll find out who wrote this in a minute. But the writer says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash Uh, Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I, I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Lord, will you cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face, Lord, from my sins. And blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. This song... Is an incredibly raw song, an honest song. You can hear it in the words. And it refers and relates to a particular time in history. If you, if you see in your Bibles there, there's actually a heading before the psalm to explain who it was written by and why and when it was written. It says this. It says, for the director of music, a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So the writer is David, King David of Israel. And he's writing this song after he was confronted by Nathan, the prophet Nathan, with the truth. David had been caught. He had nowhere to hide and many of us know the story of what happened between David and Bathsheba. It's, it's actually nice and concise, and it's, uh, you'll find it in 2 uh, Samuel 11. It basically, this is what happened. 
One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. It was a bit hot. He wanted to get out. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. And she came to him. And he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. This almost reads like one of those stories of lust and adultery. You know that you see on the front of those magazines as you line up when you're going through the checkout at Safeway? It's almost, you can almost imagine it there. But this is a story that actually gets much, much worse. Because what David does, he tries to cover up the adultery and the pregnancy by bringing back Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, from the battlefield so that he can sleep with his wife. And so that they would think, everyone would think that it was his baby. But you see, Uriah was a noble man and he said, we're in the middle of a battle. I'm not leaving my men on the battlefield. And so what David did, he uh, uh, built this plot for Uriah to be killed on the battlefield. He murdered Bathsheba's husband to cover his sin. And that's what happens. So David thinks, I've got away with this. But he hasn't. God reveals what's happened to the prophet Nathan. And so Nathan confronts David. He comes up to him and he points the finger and said, I know. You're the one who committed adultery with Bathsheba. And you covered it up by having her husband killed. David's been busted. He can't deny it. And have his, his sin exposed in such a way leaves David devastated and broken. And this song that we just read, Psalm 51, is basically a page out of his journal. As he processes his sin and tries to deal with the guilt and shame that results from the sin. It's an epic song because it deals with an epic story. But it's more than that. It's also a song that resonates with us. Now maybe we haven't killed someone to cover up adultery. But I'm sure... We've all had to deal with the guilt and the shame that comes when we've done something wrong. When we've hurt someone we love, when we've broken promises, when we've let people down, when we've let ourselves down, maybe we've let God down. And I think this song serves as a powerful example as to how we can deal with our own burden 
of guilt and shame that we may bear at some time or another. And I think in this song we're going to see three steps that David takes and that we can take in order to release the burden, that burden of guilt and shame. The first one is that we need to bring it out into the light. David realizes that it's futile to deny. So he turns to God and confesses. He admits what he's done. In verse 3 he says, I know, I know what I've done. I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. He couldn't get it out of his mind. He knew what he did was wrong. Day and night he'd be thinking about it. You see, David was a man after God's heart. It's not as if he didn't care what God thought. It's just that the temptation was too great, wasn't it? She was beautiful. And you know what happens sometimes? Your mind just starts to wander, doesn't it? Oh, I wonder. And he thought, you know, maybe I'll just get to know her. There's no harm in that. But you know what? Asking Bathsheba over for a coffee in her bikini whilst her husband's away, was probably not one of his better ideas. Because one thing leads to another, and before you know it, it's all gone too far. And now he's riddled with guilt. And so now he's forced to take responsibility and hold his hands up. He could have denied, 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 denied. But he realized, like many have realized, that on the surface, he could have got away with it. But on the inside, he would still have been riddled with guilt and shame. Those of you who remember Lance Armstrong, uh, the cyclist, I mean, it's the end of the Tour de France today. And um, he won it, I can't remember, six, seven times, so many times. And they were saying, oh, he must be on something. He must be on something. And he denied, 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 denied. All the way down the line until I think a few years ago he had an interview with, I think it was Oprah Winfrey, anyway. And she asked him the question, why why are you confessing now? And I always remember he said, I cannot live with the guilt and shame. He could have got away with it, and he did get away with it for a long, long time, but he just couldn't live with the guilt and shame. You see, the first step in dealing with our guilt is to bring our sin out into the light. And that's really hard. It's never easy for any of our wrongdoing. We don't like to admit our failings, do we? We admit that we're fallible, admit that we don't have it all together. But For David, it's even harder sometimes to come clean, especially with sexual sin. Why? Why? Because sexual sin is considered to be the worst type of sin. As Christian, if we engage in pornography or casual sex or online sex or sexting or whatever it is, we feel as though we've committed the most depraved sin 
imaginable. And so the shame and the stigma means we can never admit it. But I need you to hear this. The enemy sows lies about sexual sin. He tells you that it's the lowest of the low. The worst thing you can ever do as a Christian. So that's why you should feel ten times worse for that than something else. But that's a lie. Because the enemy wants you to wallow in the darkness so that your guilt and your shame and your sin never sees the light of day. Linda and I have done numerous pre-marriage counseling with couples. And what we try to do, we try to pinpoint areas that that they feel as though they're going to have issues down the line. Uh, And they're always quite happy to talk about, oh, you know, I have a bit of an anger issue or... Um, jealousy issue or greed issue or, or we have issues regarding money. But they very rarely bring up sexual issues. But after we've met a few times and we get more comfortable with them, then one of them tends to broach the subject very quietly and very awkwardly. I remember one particular person saying... <clears throat> It's just one thing we struggle with. My partner told me recently that he's slept with a number of women before me. Or my husband just told me that, or my husband-to-be just told me that he, he looks at pornography. And it's really interesting, but they're, they're really, they're air their dirty washing of how they have blazing rows and how they struggle with the in-laws and finance problems, but sex... Sexual issues have such a stigma and a shame attached to it that they hide it away. And I always tell the couple, what you've told me is no worse in God's eyes than all those other things. And I say to them, it's great you've brought it out into the light because hiding it only makes it worse. Talk about it with each other. Be honest with each other. Try not to judge one another. Yes, there are huge emotions attached to it. I understand that. But when it's out in the open in a relationship, its power over you will diminish. The guilt and shame will diminish when you share it, when you bring it out into the light, when you trust someone enough to share it. The other lie that Satan tells you about this is about sin is that you're, you're the only one dealing with this. You're the only one who struggles in this area. You're the only one who does this. Everyone else at City View is so good. Again, this is particularly relevant when it comes to sexual sin. It's a lie. In my experience of chatting with folk, I would say that 8 out of 10 people have some sexual issue that causes them guilt and shame and I and probably the other two have a problem with telling the truth seriously that might be an exaggeration but it is so prevalent and it will continue to be an issue as long as we carry on believing the lies of the enemy it's only us it's only me oh no I can't tell anyone because it's only me 
The only way to lay down the heavy burden of guilt and shame of our sin is to first admit that it actually exists. Be truthful to yourself, then be truthful to God, and then maybe to trusted others. We can't pretend it doesn't exist or try to wish it away. You see, after Nathan's confrontation, David didn't deny, didn't make excuses, didn't blame anyone else. He confessed. He was vulnerable enough to bring it into the light. Now, you don't have to write an epic song about your sin and have billions of people read it down through the centuries. But you have to admit it. You have to face it. Because the road of recovery doesn't go through any other door. That's the first thing we need to do. Second thing we need uh, that David does and we need to do is cry out for a clean heart. David uh, comes to God humbly, confesses his sin, takes full responsibility for what he's done, acknowledges his sin has been against God, but David's not done yet. He came to God because he desperately needed something from God. Yeah, he desired God's forgiveness, but he greatly needed and wanted God to cleanse him from his guilt, his shame, his brokenness, to give him once more a clean heart. Notice all the, all the verbs that he uses um, in this song. That have to do with cleansing and renewal. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean, he says in verse 7. Hyssop was what the priest used to symbolize a cleaning for someone who was impure. So David refers to this symbol. Then he cries out, wash me. Wash me, Lord, please, so that I can be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You see, David knows that he needs to come and confess his sin to God. That's his part of the deal, okay? We come and confess our sin. That's his responsibility. But he also knows that it's only God who can forgive him and give him a clean heart. And it's the same for us. We, we come confessing, but we're completely dependent on God for forgiveness and cleansing. We can't deal with our guilt and shame ourselves. We can't. We can't beat ourselves up and say, you know what, I'm going to try much harder. I'm going I'm, I'm to try even better. I'm going to be a really good person from now on. I'm going to try hard. That will not make a jot of difference to your guilt and shame. No amount of our own scrubbing will wash away the stain of guilt and shame in our life. David knew that. And we need to know that sort of healing only comes from the great physician. You see, when we're feeling so low and wretched because of what we've done, the only thing we can do is to literally throw ourselves on the mercy of God. I remember being part of a, uh, an accountability group at a church a number of years ago. And one of the guys had this big issue with gambling. He was a gambler. And it was bordering on an addiction. And he was a, 
he was a lovely family guy, active in the church, and we would meet once a month. And each month I saw him walk through and he was so devastated. He was devastated because he felt as though he'd let everyone down. He had gambled again. We would pray and he would fervently confess. I said, I'm not going to do it again, Lord. But I noticed over time he became more and more beaten down and despondent. And he would literally come with his shoulders hunched. So much burden. The guilt and shame this guy was feeling was crippling him. And it was the guilt and shame because he was sneaking out to a casino. Put the kids to bed and then he'd go out to the casino. Or he was going online and playing poker for money. And, and, and he didn't want to do it. He really didn't want to do it. But he would try and try and try. But the dirt was just building up. The guilt and shame was just building up. And although he desperately needed it, he wasn't able to allow God to clean his heart. And I asked him one day, I said, why? Why do you feel like that? And he said, well, you know, after all this time, God's patience must have run out on me. It's just not fair for me to keep letting God down and expect him to show me mercy. Ever felt like that? You know, when you continually mess up, not just one time, but you're continually messing up. And you feel that God says, you know what, Trevor, that's enough. I'm done with you. Till you get yourself sorted out, I'm having nothing to do with you. Let me tell you this morning. That if you feel like that, then God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's love is unfailing. It's never ending. It's limitless. He will always cleanse you no matter what you and no matter, matter how often you've done it. But that doesn't seem fair, does it? Well, you know what? It isn't fair. Because it's called grace. David knew this. David knew this. He wrote this in another psalm. He said, He, God, does not deal with us according to our sins. Praise God for that. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him, those who confess to him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. You see, we need to understand that God knows everything about us. He knows the love we show. He he sees the good deeds we do. But he also knows our faults. He knows our failings and weaknesses, my selfish ways, my stubborn ways, my jealous ways, my weak ways, my broken ways. There is nothing that God does not know about me and you. And yet, and yet, he 
still loves us. And his love is unfailing. Our guilt and shame can be removed permanently each and every time we come to him. As far as the east is from the west, the Apostle Paul reminds us that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. All sin. Because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, God has provided a means by which we can receive forgiveness and cleansing from all our sin. Past, present, future. All of it. Nothing, nothing is outside the love of God. If we were a Pentecostal church now, someone would be saying, Hallelujah. (laughs) We hear it so often, don't we? Oh, yes. Jesus died for my sins, that's fine. But we know it there. In order to get rid of our guilt and shame that we feel, we have to know it somewhere in my heart, wherever that is, I've forgotten. We will still sin. You and I will still sin. We will come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness and He'll give us His grace and His mercy and then we'll walk away and we'll go and do something else. We will sin because we still have a sinful nature in us. Can't wait to get to heaven. Won't do anything wrong there. But the debt has been paid. The blood has been shed. All we must do is confess our sins and God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. And the result of that is a removal of our burden of guilt and shame. If we don't believe that, then what we're saying is we're denying the gospel. We're denying the good news of Jesus Christ if we don't believe that. We're denying the good news of the cross. That Jesus dies for all our sins. David knew that. David knew that. And without the removal of guilt and shame, we can't take the final step, which is a renewed relationship and a restored joy. See, the goal is always to be restored and renewed. That's the goal of confession. That's the goal of asking for a clean heart uh, and the joy that comes from that. It's what David asked for in verse 12. It says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I want to know the joy. I'm fed up with the guilt and the shame in my life. I don't want that anymore. I want the joy again of your salvation. You see, God not only desires to forgive us, not only to cleanse us, take away the guilt and the shame, He wants to change us. He wants to transform us. He wants to renew our joy and our hope. If you have no joy this morning, God wants to give you joy in your hearts again. We're freed from the burden of guilt and shame in order to live a new life. But it's a process. And we have to keep coming to Him. Keep allowing Him to heal us, to change us, to transform us by His Spirit. Again and again and again and again and again 
until I see him face to face in heaven. It's an epic song. But it's ultimately a song that brings freedom to the writer. And freedom for those of us seeking a release from our own guilt and shame. Let's sing this song and know the joy of a restored heart. Let's pray. I'm going to pray for those of us who have heavy hearts right now. I'm going to pray for those of us who have a burden. Maybe it's a burden of guilt and shame of something that we've done this week. Maybe it's something that we've done years ago that we've not been able to deal with. What I want you to do, if that's you or me right now, I I just pray that you could take that thing, whatever it is, that's causing that guilt and shame, and I want you to lift it up. Offer it to Jesus. However stinking, however filthy it may be, lift it up. And then I want you to see Jesus come and pick it out of your hands, and then like a great baseball player, He is going to throw that filthy, stinking thing right into the distance. And you see it go until you can see it no more. And then he comes and lifts you up and restores you and gives you a clean heart. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you love us so much in spite of who we are. In spite of the stuff we do, the way we let you down and let our loved ones down and let ourselves down. Lord, you just take all that stuff and you throw it. And you say, it's okay, I love you. Come back to me. Help me. Let me change you. Let me clean your heart. Let me take that burden. Let me give you joy once more. Mm. Thank you, Lord, for that wonderful, wonderful song that you sing over us, a song of love, a song of grace. Amen.